friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. Uh, today uh, on our podcast, I've actually got a friend in with me here, Raf, and we're going to be having a conversation about forgiveness. This is like the second part uh, to last week's podcast on forgiveness. So in, in that episode, if you've not listened to it yet, jump in and listen to that first. And that is a little bit of teaching and thoughts on forgiveness. And today we're going to get really practical and we're going to be talking about what we can do to process uh, forgiveness and, and uh, process through our hurts. So if you're not listening to podcast one on forgiveness, then please do that. This is kind of podcast two. So let's jump in and talk about forgiveness. So Raf, you've got a really weird accent. Uh, tell us where you're from. Yeah, so uh, I was born in uh, Brazil, in Rio, uh, to be specific. Uh, I came to the UK uh, when I was 17 to 18 years old. So yeah, I'm not drunk, it's just my accent. <laughs> but you, you can see the UK at 18, but your journey to coming to the UK is not a straight one. Like, tell us a little bit about your story. How, you know, what brought you to the UK? Yeah, so uh, it's an interesting story. Like I, I actually came to the UK... Um, to escape from my family. Um, basically, uh, I come from a family where, uh, from high achievers, uh, professionally speaking. Uh, my brother was a helicopter pilot, my dad was a lawyer, my mom was a dentist, and I was taking drugs. Uh, and because of that, there was a lot of pressure uh, from my family. They were kind of interfering with my drug use. And uh, I just wanted to use drugs in peace if there was such a thing. That, you know. And uh, So yeah, I came to the UK simply to escape from my family. So you literally moved to the UK at 18 so you could take drugs and your parents would leave you alone. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's not always the reason why people move to the UK. Not really. It's the sunshine. Absolutely. Uh, but you came because of the drugs. Yeah. So let's just rewind back then. Let's Because I know you're, uh, you, you don't just turn up to the UK and decide to start taking drugs. What, what was it that led you down this path where that was your way of dealing with the pain? Sure. I think that's a really good question. Like, uh, you know, lots of people, um, I like uh, something I heard uh, quite a few years ago that the reason why many people uh, struggle to get into recovery and to stay in recovery, uh, as they say that it's easier to stop using drugs, the difficulty is to stay stopped. You know, the problem is not to stop, the problem is to stay stopped. And, and the reason being is because I came to realize that drug was not my problem drug actually started as a, a solution to problems that existed prior to me trying. Um, you know, uh, I think there are many factors. I think uh, self-esteem was uh, a, a big thing that I suffered with. Uh, I had very low self-esteem uh, that happened because of certain uh, um, episodes in my life. You know, for example... Um, you know, there was lots of domestic violence at home. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was seven years old. Uh, they then, uh, my father then disappeared for, for nearly three years. Um, you know, he didn't turn up on my birthdays. Uh, he didn't say anything or Christmas time. Uh, and that made me feel that I wasn't worth it. I wasn't uh, lovable. Um, and then, 
you know, my first two relationships, romantic relationships, uh, both of my girlfriends, they cheated on me with guys that I knew and that I hanged out with. So I kind of, you know, uh, I got abandoned by my father and I got cheated by my first two other girlfriends. Mm -hmm. You know, so I grew up thinking that uh, I wasn't worth it, I wasn't good enough. And, uh, you know, the neighbor's grass was always greener than mine. I wish to be somebody else, somewhere else or something else. And, mm -hmm. and that was me. So... Um, I remember going to a party with my brother and his mates from the Air Force in Brazil. And they were all flirting and dancing and chatting with girls. And I remember looking at them thinking, how the hell do you do that? You know, because I, I just can't socialize. I, I was the kind of the guy that uh, I would go to a club and sit on the back with my arms crossed, feeling like worse than everybody. Uh, I was so self-obsessed that I used to take my phone and act like I was speaking to someone when actually there was no one on that phone call. I just felt so embarrassed that I would rather act like if I was on a telephone call when actually there was no call happening. I just wanted to escape from, from reality. And what happened to this guy here is that once I took drugs, once I drank alcohol for the first time, alcohol and drugs allowed me to get away from all those, uh, you know, uh, bad memories and, and the low self-esteem. So uh, I don't know if that makes sense to whoever is listening uh, to it, but drugs in the beginning, uh, in, 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 a, in a fake way, it gave me a sense of security, belonging. Uh, it was like, a, the way I like to describe is it was my best friend, but one day the best friend simply abandoned me. Mm. And then uh, I was left with myself. Mm. And, you know, for you, you self-medicated on drugs. Mm. For some of us, we self-medicate on sex, mm. porn, gambling. Some of us self-medicate on shopping. Make ourselves feel better. We're trying to fulfill something in us by shopping. Mm. Uh, there are lots of things we can consume in life to try and medicate this pain. Mm. And your story, in some ways, is an extreme one. But we all find it. It's true in all of us. We all do this. And if any one of us thinks that we don't do it, mm. we are fooling ourselves. Yeah. Um, can I just ask a little bit more about your dad and your mum? Because I know that your relationships going right the way back have been a key part of what you've needed to kind of work out. Um, so can you just say something about your, your mum and dad's relationship and, and how that impacted you? Sure, definitely. Uh... I mean, it was, uh, as I normally say, you know, on the external, it was great. You know, we came from a wealthy family in Brazil. We, we lived in, in a mansion in Rio. Uh, things looked amazing on the outside, but on the inside, uh, our home was, um, uh, you know, severe domestic violence was a common theme. Uh, you know, uh, I saw my mom bleeding a few times. Um, I saw my dad holding a shotgun to my mom's head when I was five and a half to six years old. Um... You know, abuse was, was a constant thing. Uh, my dad never laid a hand on me, but the way he behaved towards my mom, uh, it was very scary. You know, uh, I remember vividly, like, how many times uh, my mom uh, used to cry and, and, and get uh, panic attacks just by knowing that my father was arriving. And that, mm -hmm. you know, me and my brother, we would hide under the bed because my dad was coming. Uh, so that was like, uh, that was common for us. You, you know, it became like routine. Um... So, yeah, you know, my dad basically, uh, after all that stuff, you know, my dad, for example, uh, he put my brother and myself in a situation where he used to cheat on my mom uh, often, and he used to bring me and my brother to dates. Uh, so me and my brother were watching my father kissing another woman, 
and having dinner with her and then we would go home and me and my brother would be in a situation where we didn't know what to say or do. Mm. Um, and then, uh, as I said previously, my father then left for, for, I think it was between two and a half and three years. I can't be exact on dates, to be honest. But uh, I spoke to my mom about it in the past, and it's between two and a half and three years that he disappeared completely. Um, and when he came back, all I, rem- I remember like yesterday, you know, I can remember as I speak, like I know exactly where I was sat where he was and you know I remember that my mom was there and he was in my mom's house but by that time uh, I'm grateful to my mom you know because my mom um, she never used the things my father did to separate us from our dad which mm-hmm. I believe it was a very honorable thing to do uh, you know she accepted my dad to come back regardless of what he did just so me and my brother could have a father mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah basically as my father sat there he didn't say I'm sorry, he didn't apologize or anything. He simply took a picture out of his pocket and showed me what was a sister that I didn't know I had who was already nearly three years old, which basically means that that sister was born when he was still living with us. Mm. So he was living a secret life aside that we didn't know. Mm. Uh, and for me, especially as the youngest son, uh, it was a shock. You know, I was the youngest kid and now all of a sudden I have a sister that actually is nearly three. Mm. Um, and I was very confused by it, you know. Um, uh, I felt like cheated by my own father. Uh, obviously, as a child, you know, you don't have the maturity. I was jealous of my uh, new sister. Uh, I think I lost my place as the youngest child. Uh, and then, yeah, so, you know, there, there's a lot more. There's a lot yeah. more. So so much in there. That all of what was going on at home, plus the normal stuff that we go through as a teenager, led you to a place where it made more sense to take drugs than than not to yeah and for you what was the um what was that process for you was it just a case of just jumping in was it a case of uh, you know what was the what was the movement from not taking drugs to taking drugs yeah that's a good question actually uh, i never thought i would use drugs you know uh, i never lacked information i remember in brazil uh, police officers they normally used to come to the classes you know just before you get to the teenage time and they would show uh, they would show you the drugs and, and and say to us what drugs could do in our lives and how bad it was uh you know school itself used to do talks on drugs to to kind of try and prevent people taking drugs so i never thought i would use um, but what happened is uh, the first time uh, alcohol obviously you know uh, I started drinking I was quite young I was about 13 years old when my brother went to the, went to the air force uh, and for some reason my mom didn't challenge me uh, but uh, you know it's not a blaming thing even if she did challenge I don't think I would have stopped anyway mm. but drinking was fine for my family um, and uh, to cut a long story short I was, full, I was 13 years old uh, this very popular guy, he came to uh, my friend's house where I was drinking beer. Uh, he was the kind of guy that everyone, well, at least I wanted to be. He was a good-looking guy. He had a beautiful girlfriend. He was 15 years old and had a motorbike, and his father was rich. Mm. Um, and he just turns to me and say, Raf, I've got a surprise for you. Uh, I have some cannabis in here. Uh, and I remember that actually I was petrified. You know, inside I was I was full of anxiety, and I wanted to tell him that actually I don't want to try. Mm. But for me, uh, uh, I, I wanted to please him. I wanted him to like me. And, and today, looking back, I can see that that's directly uh, connected to have been abandoned by my father. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I've spent years, uh, you know, even in recovery from, from drugs, uh, I, I was able to realize that I was still seeking uh, unavailable men. Mm. You know, it's like if I was attracted to people that didn't pay attention on me. Mm. It's like if I wanted to buy their attention and their love. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's something that um, happened, you know. So I didn't want to try drugs. It's not like I've made a plan and like, yeah, I want to be a drug addict. Uh, I didn't. It was just like uh, it started as uh, I wanted to like me. So, so then yeah. 15 years go by. Yeah, 14 oh, years. 14 years, and that's then 14 years mm. of medicating to try and run away from what happened mm. in your childhood, this sense of not belonging, the sense of not uh, having a father. So just run away from that and, and run into the drugs. Mm. And um, the exciting thing is you're going to start training as a pastor at our church, mm-hmm. and this is all exciting. So there's a, what happened from the moment where... Uh, yeah, when you first went into a recovery meeting, so you're actually starting to find recovery. What, what what happened in that? What's the pieces that were played out that helped you? Yeah, it, it was really interesting. You know, uh, my my, you you mentioned previously about five minutes ago that uh, although my thing was drugs, we all are recovering from something. Some people are shopping, some people are sex, and what I see personally, this is my experience. Uh, on, on the place where I found recovery, it's a, it's a 12-step fellowship uh, for those of you that uh, know what 12 steps is. Uh, and they have a saying in there that we all suffer from a spiritual void. And, and that void is a God-shaped void. You know, so whatever else I put in there, that void won't be fulfilled. You know, like Jesus says that he's the bread of life. No other bread will fulfill me. So my story in recovery is that I found freedom from drugs and I was in what we call a pink cloud. So for the first six months of recovery, I felt like, yes, that's it. I'm the happiest man on earth now. And I'm no longer addicted to drugs. And I started to externally look better. You know, I put some weight on. I was having some money in my pocket. Things started to feel good. But eventually, uh, I, I, I found myself exactly how I felt when I was 13 years old, and I felt so self-obsessed. I found myself in recovery, acting mm-hmm. like if I was on a phone call, but actually there was no one on the other side of the line, mm-hmm. exactly how I felt when I was on a club at the age of 13. And what I realized is that actually I now don't have a drug problem, but I have a me problem. Mm. You know, I have a lot of underlying issues that I was self-medicating on. And it's similar to people who suffer from depression and and they are taking antidepressants, but they're not uh, doing therapy. They're not having counseling or they're not uh, they're not dealing with what caused the depression in the first place. So what happens is drugs was numbing it. But the problem was it's still under the carpet. Mm. So what happened to me is basically I found myself with two years clean uh, without any drugs, including alcohol, uh, because, you know, my, my, my part of my journey is that uh, I, I found out that I couldn't drink alcohol as well. Um, and what happened is I was two years complete abstinent from all drugs and I felt miserable. Uh, I was no longer uh, smoking cannabis or, or crack, but I was smoking lust. 
You know, I was no longer sniffing cocaine, but I was sniffing resentments and, and, and being judgmental. You know, I swapped drugs for other things. You know, I started to watch uh, pornography multiple times a day. Um, I was having sex with four different girls at the same time uh, without protecting myself. Uh, you know, I realized that basically uh, drug was not the problem. Uh, I realized that that spiritual void that drugs was fulfilling was now a big gap again. Mm. And uh, I realized after two and a half years in recovery, uh, after being challenged by a guy uh, who was a pastor, that the reason why I felt so miserable is because I was trying to fill that gap uh, with things that would always leave me first, no matter how much I drank from it. Mm. And he told me that only Jesus would fulfill that void. Mm. But Jesus was the last thing I wanted because of the experience I had previously in life. Mm. You know, uh, my experience from church is that church was a place to get manipulated and put your money in the basket. Uh, and especially, uh, you know, the story I had a, a tra- uh, the church I attended in Brazil, the, the pastor was having an affair with three or four ladies from the congregation. Uh, and then my father was beating up my mom from Monday to Saturday. And then on Sunday, would put a smile face and go to church, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I kind of, uh, I was against church and, uh, um, yeah, you know, but I was, I guess I was so broken and so lost and so empty that, and I didn't want to go back to drugs again because I knew that uh, drugs wasn't going to answer the problem no more. So uh, I think the pain became so great that uh, I became willing to try something that I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my story is that uh, when I found Jesus, not religion, but when I found Jesus, and uh, um, I, I no longer needed to seek my father's love because I found my real father. Mm-hmm. You know, And this is where we kind of lead on to. So we talk about forgiveness and <clears throat> um there's so much in your story, but what I want to focus on today is how did you get to a place where you could forgive your father? The root, you know, not the root, but a, a, a part of the root of your addiction uh, comes from the abuse that you saw at home mm. and you saw your dad mm. uh, doing uh, to your mum. So talk me through what, what does forgiveness and how, what has this process looked like for you as you've, you've processed it in your recovery? Sure. That's really good, actually. And um, I, I like to be very practical about stuff. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that, and I'm not, it's not a critic, I think, uh, you know, I have been to many churches in the past where you go and you hear a lot about the Bible, uh, but it, it, sometimes it feels so. It feels like so far away that you leave church more confused than you when you entered. So, um, uh, putting in a very practical way, how did I? How was I able to forgive my father? Uh, I would like to divide these in three uh, different ways, uh, which is called uh, feel, uh, deal, and then heal. So for those that don't know Brazilian, I'll, re- I'll translate. <laughs> That's feel, deal, and heal. That's right. And uh, the reason why I like to divide in those three areas, you guys are going to realize why. So the problem for me uh, at first was actually not allowing myself to feel it, uh, not allowing myself to actually uh, express how hurt I was. So this is uh, what happened with your dad. Exactly. Yeah. And my dad and also anything in life, any resentments I had, including the, the, the first two girlfriends that cheated on me, 
uh, what happened to me is because I was young and I didn't have maturity, um, I, I didn't know how to process my feelings. So all I did, like most people in society today do, not just kids, but even adults, is people just put a mask and they pretend that everything is okay. Like people say, man up. Mm. You know, I grew up thinking that if you are a man, you don't cry. You know, if you are a man, you don't, you don't talk about your feelings. You know, the more vulnerable you, you get, the more people are going to abuse you, and, which actually is a very unhealthy thing to, 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 to be told. And what I did is, you know, I wasn't able to feel uh, properly in, in a healthy way. Um, and what happened is uh, it started coming out uh, in very unhealthy manners. You know, uh, I've got tattoos all over my body. Uh, I started taking drugs. Uh, I was uh, looking uh, uh, for the wrong girlfriends. Uh, I was looking for the wrong friends. Uh, it's interesting because my mom used to blame lots of my friends. And uh, I lived in six different cities around the world, right? I lived in Portugal, uh, Scotland, uh, England, Brazil. And everywhere I went, I always found the same friends. Mm. So it's not the friends that was the problem. It was my choices, mm. you know. And it was always coming because of that. You know, it was all linked to this uh, sense of uh, low self-esteem and, uh, you know, feeling abandoned and so on. So, yeah, the feeling part of it basically is um, for you guys to know the process, right? Um, when I found recovery, I had to list every single resentment I had in life, all of them. Uh, my mom, my dad, my brother, even very tiny resentments, you know, when you were a kid in school and people call you a name that you don't like. So I had to look at all that, all that stuff. And uh, it was, uh, and the way it works is you have to talk, you, you have to put on a notebook the name of the person, what they did, not what you think they did, but what they did, facts only, and then how that affected me, and then what was my part. So the name of the person, what they have done, how it affected me, and my part. Um, in many examples, finding my part wasn't difficult. For example, I had a resentment with my mother that she kicked me out of the house. But when I looked at my part, it wasn't difficult to see. You know, I stole money from her. Uh, I was bringing drama to her house because of my drug use. So it was easy to kind of uh, uh, see that I had a big part to play. But when it came to the situation that uh, I remember that I wrote that, you know, my father, uh, what he did uh, basically on my eighth birthday, um, you know, I was really uh, hoping that he would turn up and all my friends were in the house, all of their parents came and the only father that didn't turn up was my own. And, uh, and that for me was, was like, you know, your superhero didn't turn up, you know, I was gutted, I was broken by that. Uh, and, and, you know, I didn't even have a phone number to call. And, um, and I remember my mentor who was taking me through this process, he asked me, he said, what's your part? And I was really angry with him. You know, I, we had a, a small argument where I said, how can you ask me my part when I was eight years old? And his question was, how old are you now? Mm. And, and I said to him, well, uh, you know, I was 26 at the time. And he said, your part is holding a resentment mm. without dealing with it for the next 18 years. Mm. You know, he said, you, couldn't, you, you could have done nothing then, but you had 18 years to look for help and to talk and to, you know, whatever way mm. to, to process that, which leads me to the next part now, which is the deal. 
so the feeling, the problem, as I said, it wasn't expressing my feelings appropriately. So the dealing uh, part with it, uh, as I said, uh, I don't need to go over again because I've just expressed how I dealt with it. So I had to find somebody that was healthy, uh, somebody that, you know, some, you, you have to be very careful who you speak to. You know, if you go to, if you've got a toothache and you go to the lawyer, it's very little he can do for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's very important to know uh, who we talk to because if if I want to forgive somebody and I go to someone that can't forgive, they won't help me to forgive. They're going to help me to be more bitter. And I didn't want to be more bitter because I knew that uh, all those bitterness and all those stuff was going to bring me back to drugs again. So this mentor was a healthy guy that, um, uh, you know, the, the main focus of this dealing part, it wasn't to blame others, it was to find my part in it so I can grow and change. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he told me, he said, listen, this is what you've got to do. You know, he said, you've got to look at your part, uh, you, you, you know. And, and the other thing was... Um, there's three things in, in, in this dealing area, okay? Uh, years back, my mom told me that my father, so the same guy that I have resented for so many years, when he was six years old, um, he was abandoned by his own mom. So his mom chose his brother, uh, escaped to another country, uh, and left my father alone. He didn't even know where his mom was. Uh, and we're talking about 1960, mm. you know, uh, she just escaped to another continent. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, like you, you can only borrow money if you have it and you can only give love if you have love. So I was expecting my father to give me something that he did not have. Mm. And uh, that was uh, that allowed me, helped me to see that actually uh, we are all carrying baggages, yeah. You know, uh, I was blessed to, to be introduced to, to, to a process that allowed me to break those chains. You know, like my kids will no longer carry that. You know, I had the opportunity to actually break through those chains, uh, you know, with the help of this process and, you know, the Holy Spirit and, and everything in it uh, to don't keep passing on this curse. Uh, into the next generation, mm. you know. Uh, so, yeah, the dealing part was that, you know, I had to look into those resentments. Uh, uh, basically, like, the, the quote that kind of summarized this is, pretending that you are not hurt does not mean that you are not hurt. You know, uh, we are very good at pretending stuff. Mm. Uh, but what happens is, uh, every time I pretend, I'm putting one more stone in my pocket. And the more stones I have, the more down I go. Mm. You know, so I had to let go of those stones and pick one at a time from my pocket. And that's what that process done with me. Uh, and the last part, which is the healing part that I want to explain is, so I have admitted my feelings. Uh, you know, I have shown that actually, yes, I was hurt by what my father did. And yes, uh, I feel like uh, I was, un, uh, uh, you know, not lovable and he affected me so much. Uh, and I was angry with him, you know, uh, so I had to stop pretending. Uh, the dealing part was obviously, as I said, I had to look at my part and I also had to look that actually my father was carrying his own baggages. And after the next part uh, is uh, through that process, I wrote from my first ever memory in life to my last ever memory in life. So I remember writing uh, about what my father was doing, but then uh, uh, later, when I, when I came to my own uh, adult life, I started to realize that actually I long for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I need to be forgiven in so many areas, you know, like uh, I stole from my family, I've committed crime, uh, and, 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 you know, 
how how uh, they say that you, you know when you realize your need to be forgiven, you become more forgiven. Mm. You know, so I realized that if I wanted to uh, to be forgiven myself, uh, I I must be able to offer forgiveness to others. Mm. You know, um, I'm not more special than anyone. You know, the same way I had excuses for my behaviors, my father had his excuses too. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's very important, Chris, for people to know that. Um, to forgive does not mean that you forgot. Mm-hmm. You know, every time I talk about my father, especially be, being a father myself, uh, I think, how could you, how can you, you know, how was he able to do that? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I can't even imagine leaving my kids in here. Do you know what I mean? Uh, the only reason I live in the UK today is because of my kids. Otherwise, I would have gone back to Brazil a long time ago. You know, uh, so every time I think of it, uh, not every time, but there are times when I talk about it that I kind of struggle. But so forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is remembering. But each time I remember, I decide to forgive anyway, because I know that you know uh, resentment is like if I am drinking poison, expecting my dad to die, but actually who is dying is me because I'm the one bitter. So this is really important. So uh, forgiveness is not a one-time uh, silver bullet. Yeah. It's a daily process of I choose to forgive today Absolutely. and I choose to forgive today. Mm-hmm. And as time goes by, that gets deeper. It looks different, but it has to be a regular choice, doesn't it? Because you can keep going back to resentment without even realizing it. Absolutely. Especially if I don't look after my spirituality. Yeah. You know, if I don't read my Bible uh, uh, enough, if I, if I don't uh, connect with God enough, uh, you know, it's like a, it's a daily surrender, isn't it? It's like a relationship with God. You know, I know many people that are Christian for decades and they became atheists because they didn't look after their spirituality. Mm, uh, and with forgiveness is the same, you know. Um, I think of it sometimes, but every time I think, I look at three things. I look at what was done to my dad. I look at things I've done and I wanted to be forgiven from. And I look at the cross, mm. you know, because what the cross shows us is that actually, you know, uh, God, uh, through, through, through his son, Jesus, uh, he, he saved us from a price that we would never be able to pay back. Mm. You know, and if he done that for us, who am I mm. not to offer the same to others? Yeah. You know, um, can I, can I yeah. ask you a question before, mm. just as we end? Mm. Uh, forgiveness is not easy. Mm. How easy was it to forgive your dad? There is a, a saying that says when the pain becomes greater, uh, when the pain of remaining the same becomes the greater than the pain of changing we become willing mm. okay so for me what happened is i understood that that resentment was not uh damaging my father it was damaging me mm. it was damaging my relationship with god you know uh, i don't know exactly where in the bible but there is a passage that says that before you you bring your uh, your office to the to the altar mm. go there and deal with your resentment yeah. You know, and I really get first. what God is saying because for me, when I'm bitter, when I'm angry, that blocks me from praying, that blocks mm, me from contacting good. with God. You know, so um, yeah. That's amazing, Raf. Thank you so much. I love this. <clears throat> Feel, deal, heal. Yeah. Feel the pain. Work through it. Deal with it. Don't don't hide it. Don't push it down. When you push that pain down, it becomes depression, becomes anxiety. That's when it becomes addiction. Mm. Dealing with it. Yeah. looking at it in the light with yeah. other people with Jesus and then that actually leads to the healing I think if we can implement that yeah. uh, you know to feel the pain yeah. 
process and deal with it and get to healing that that's a great thing we're going to leave it there thank you so much Raph I'd love to have loads more conversations with you about this kind of stuff I think you've got so much to offer us Uh, look if you're listening to this podcast today and you have heard Raph's story about his uh, upbringing about what he's gone through uh, how he's processed it any of that uh, then don't just leave it if you need to talk it through with somebody else then please talk it through find somebody that you can talk that through from we'd love to hear your comments leave a little comment after this podcast we'd love to hear your thoughts and what Raph has been saying Uh, but you know for me that treasure is feel deal heal that's something that's worth memorizing i'm going to choose to feel this pain i'm going to choose to deal with it and through that then we can find healing friends until next time uh look after yourselves and grace and peace 